Hey guys, Dylan Hartley here. Welcome back to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I don't know about you, but I always feel a little bit flat when the Guinness Six Nations finishes. But don't worry, we've got some really special guests on the podcast for you this week. I'm sitting down with my old boss, Eddie Jones, to reflect on England's performance. And later on, I'll be joined by Red Roses coach, Simon Middleton, and finding out what we can expect from England's woman next month. It's always interesting we sit down with Eddie, so let's get straight to it. Hey, Dylan. The boss, man. How are you, mate? All right? I'm all right, thanks, boss. How are you? Uh, battling on, mate. Yeah, just, just for people listening, put a bit of context to this. I'm talking to Eddie post-Island and at the end of the championship. So, so Eddie, from, from uh, England's point of view and your point of view, um, how do you reflect on your tournament? Yeah, look, we had a poor tournament. Really disappointed in our performance. We got off to a bad start against Scotland. Yeah, I felt we were underprepared. Italy, we, we played okay. And then Wales, was a, it's hard to gauge the Wales game because, and you, you know more than anyone, when you get two difficult decisions at the start of the game, that puts you on the back foot. And we fought hard to get back and, and couldn't sustain it, played well against France. And then, then Ireland, um, yeah, a bit like, bit like the Wales game is, just one of those tournaments where things didn't seem to go right for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I mean, the tournament's difficult if you don't get it right from from that first game. Um, it's always fine margins and, and small things in games that obviously lead to, to results. Let, let's look for, for a positive in your eyes. What were you happy about with the tournament? What did you learn? Uh, well, I learned a lot about the players. Yeah, we've had a, a reasonably settled side since... Yeah, the back end of 2018 now. And there's always going to be some movement in the team. So I had some younger guys come in who, um, who came in and did really well. And I was really pleased the way the senior players looked after the, the junior players coming in and made it a very positive experience, uh, for them. So that was a, that was a good thing. We're, we're also in the process of trying to develop a game for the 2023 where, at our best estimate, we think it's going to be similar rugby to what we had to play against France. You know, fast pitches, sunshine. There's going to be a combination of, you know, the set-piece attritional game plus some ball movement. So we've moved down that track a little bit, opened up our game a little bit, which has made us a bit more vulnerable, but some good signs there. Isn't it hard to kind of predict what's going to be happening in a couple of years and kind of start influencing the play, the, the way you play? but also trying to, because the style of rugby at the moment is obviously different to what it's going to be in, in 2023, right? How, how do you kind of strike that balance of win now, but also with an eye on, on 2023 trying to play or predict what that's going to be? Yeah, it's a bit like being out in the surf, mate. Yeah, you gotta, you got to predict where the big waves come and get in position and, and get on it. Yeah, and there's a lot of markers that, that are showing at the moment that that's the way the game's going to go. You know, your mates back in Rotorua, all the Kiwis want the game to be faster and every rule in Super Rugby New Zealand, Super Rugby Australia is about making the game faster. Yeah, we're in entertainment sport now. Um, everyone wants the game to be more exciting and faster. So I think it's almost inevitable that's going to happen. To what extent, you don't know. Um, but we want to make sure we're down the track and, and ready to go so we don't have to at the last minute make massive tactical adaptions to our game. Yeah, okay. Um, what about you? Like We talked about the team a bit. What about challenges for you? What What have you found this tournament? Uh, what have you learned about yourself? You're the master, mate. You're always learning. You're always improving. <laughs> You're always reading, talking, podcasting. 
you got about 10 different screens in your office, you're talking to everyone. Uh, you, you must be challenged. You know, I'd like to know if you've had anything this tournament. I mean, coaching from a laptop at, at one point. One of the most difficult things uh, was I was always catching up this tournament, having gone in the camp late. And you know what it's like, your first camp, we only got four days and I wasn't there until the third day. And then we had like a blizzard on the fourth day. So it, it, we couldn't train properly. And I felt I was always catching up because, as as you know as well, yeah, you got players from 12 different clubs and you're trying to get them on the same page and, and the amount of time you spend with each other was, was minimised. So I'm not using that as an excuse, but I found I must admit I found that very difficult. I was thinking, so obviously new players, I'm thinking like your David Ribbons, Alex Mitchell, that I know quite well. You're, you're a people's person, you know what I mean? You like talking to people, getting to know them. Did you find that hard? You've you've obviously got your established players that you do know, but forming and building new relationships and, and making a good estimate of, of new characters? Yeah, I think it was hard for everyone, mate. Yeah, because rugby is a game of action on the field and, and then the interaction off the field. And in the old days, it used to be over beers. Now Nowadays, it's over a nice flat white to see, you know, whether you can make a nice silver fern or you can make a nice heart on the on the flat white and and yeah the early part of the tournament we weren't even allowed to do that um so it's hard to get to know those blokes and and as you know you know the relationship part of the game particularly in english rugby where i found it much more difficult than any other team because the clubs are their lives you know it's not like in australia you play for the brumbies for six months and then you go and it's not your life you play it's a team you play for it's, Whereas here, the club you play for is your life, isn't it? You're in there like 300 days a week. You, it's your local area, and and breaking down those rivalries is always is always a a challenge. Um, and I think we've managed to do that pretty well. But it probably took us longer this time to get that little bit of you know when you you fit together and you got a good feel about you. Well, I get that. I get that because um, I've experienced and I've I've experienced in, in England that's been quite divisive and split and and in those kind of club camps. But I could testify to the England that I experienced with you and, and talking to the boys now, it's very much Team England. Um, there's some great relationships there. And I think it's testament to your, your senior players of how welcoming they are. But you, you've always, you know, every, every player I talk to that's worked with you, you've got like a special bond or relationship, a carrot or a stick, or there's always some funny anecdote that's tied with, you know, meeting Eddie for the first time. How do you, or how did you, you know, where did you form your skill of kind of motivating players? Because like, if you look at Benny Young's, you chucked um, chucked a, a box of Harry Bow at him, Luke Kahn, Dickie had a crate of Guinness. Um, <laughs> he still got it, I think. <laughs> but when did you work that out? And where did it come from? Oh, look, it goes back a long way, mate. Uh, when I first graduated from university, I was a trained PE teacher, but, no one quit PE, so you couldn't get a job. Yeah, you know, the best job in the world in Australia. You're down the beach at three thirty, and always in the sun. So I had to teach. Uh, I think you call it supply teaching here, and I had to teach mathematics. And of course, the teachers always have the day off when they got their worst classes. Yeah, you know, it's always the bottom bottom level of year nine boys where all the hormones pumping through their bodies, and the last thing they want to learn about is a squared plus b squared equals c squared. So you had to learn, I had to learn pretty quickly 
how to pick out characters in a room and, and try to establish a relationship with those guys and because and, they were the guys that would either make it a, a hell of a 40 minutes or, a, you know, you could you could have an enjoyable 40 minutes. So I think it started there and, and I was lucky enough to, to, to grow up in the era where we played rugby and all our talking afterwards was done over a beer and we'd spend a hell of a lot of time together. Yeah, so there was always that interaction between between the players and even the coaches at that stage. I was to say a, a rugby team basically is a group of year nine boys. Um, <laughs> what, what, what about you? So I experienced this in, in a leadership role, but you're the ultimate leader. You're the boss. Everyone looks to you. So you know, after a win, it, it's good. You know, everything's moving. Sunday, Mondays, it's it just moves. It's easy. You know, well, after a loss, I've always wondered this. You know. Do you ever, you know, do you, do you have to pick yourself up? Do you have to look in the mirror and go, right, let's go, let's let's get back on it? Or uh, as as you've got older and you're in your wise old years, uh, have you just got used to it? Or what, what's the what's the story? I wish I did, mate. Never get used to it. Like Saturday night, I probably slept about two hours, feeling sorry for myself. Get up, and I, I try to make it. By the time I have a shave, I'm ready to go. And and so you use all that time to think. Uh, I had a phone call with Craigie about about seven o'clock, just uh, throw some ideas around, and and then you're you're back in it, mate. You know, smiles on, energy's back, face is shaven. Hopefully, you haven't got too many cuts on it, and you, away you go. Uh, for those of you that are wondering who Craig is, uh, that's Neil Craig, the Australian AFL legend and Eddie's right hand man. So I know that you love rugby. You you love talking about rugby. You like working rugby, coaching rugby. You like rugby. Do you do anything to to get away from the game, to stay balanced, to stay sharp, to to give yourself that kind of uh, respite? Uh, yeah, well, I watch other sports, and yeah, normally uh, the wife's here, um, so she she watches the game. You know, she loves the game, but never talks about rugby. So that's that's always the way. So it's pretty it's pretty easy for me. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I've been able to stay in the game for a for a period of time is because I've got good focus. Yeah, you know, I think. Players and coaches are the same, mate. You know, the more success you have, the more likely you are to get distracted. And I haven't allowed myself to get distracted. And I watch, I love watching Super Rugby New Zealand. Yeah, that's relaxation for me. I love watching the ball being tossed around. You know, they play with such plus freedom and everyone wants to play like that. You know, as an Australian Super Rugby coach, we wanted to play like that. And even now more so, they're, they're probably this contrast. So that's always relaxing. It's fresh. It's exciting and match of the day, mate, in the football. I love that as well. Yeah, but you know, you know, when you're watching the sport, are you do you just unwind, or are you watching it from a tactical point of view, a mindset point of view? Are you looking to see who maintains momentum? Are you able to just relax, or are you always on, just watching for those little cues? Yeah, probably most of the time I watch it as a coach of one of the teams and try to work out what they're doing. Yeah, in the the well well coached teams, you can always work out pretty quickly what they're trying to do. So it, it's a good exercise. And then if I know the coach, I'll, I'll send him a text and say, you know, is, is this right? So it's it's a bit of fun that keeps you engaged. I don't see it as work at all. Nice. Um, this this campaign naturally, there's always talk, and I know it's just talk and noise, but there's talk about coaches. There's talk about captaincy. Can you explain to to me? Um, what you see or what you want in your captain. Because everyone, you know, I experienced this, everyone wants to pick their favourite player to, to be captain. But 
there's a whole lot more depth to it. It's like a bloody onion. It can go on and on and on. What do you ultimately want from your captain? Yeah, well, it depends on the, on the situation. You know, for instance, with you, mate, I needed a bloke that that had uh, a bit of balls, um, so to speak. Um, you know, was prepared to put himself out there, get the team together, good hard player. So it set the role and. And at the moment, we want someone who can lead from the front. Um, you know, he's got to be a constant selection in the side and he needs to be someone now that's got good skills at, at bringing the players together, um, particularly in this period. And then, and then thirdly, be a, a very good delegator, mate. You know, cause the job's getting more and more complex. You know, rugby's getting more and more complex. Remember when you used to kick the ball down the field and you used, just used to chase after it? And now you've got, you know, every formation there is on, on kick chase and, and it's become an art form in itself. So all of those things mean that the captain has to have people to look after all those areas for him. Now what, what you're saying, like the on-field captain, there's a lot of, um, you know, with the, the challenge coming in, there, there's so many laws like and, and the ways to interact with the referees now, they review everything. It's it, I, I would hate to be a captain now. There's There's a lot more to it than even... It just moves so quick in a couple of years. But I've always argued to people, I reckon aside from hitting your straps playing, I reckon there's about 90% of the role is unseen. It's it's the off-field, bringing people together, setting the tone and training, making sure the team's organised, the mindset's right for the week. Uh, you're nodding away, so I'm hoping you're agreeing with me. 100%, mate. You could, you could write a book on the art of captaincy, mate. That could be your next project. Mate, anyone can write a book these days. <laughs> That's true. We'll be back with Eddie in just one sec, but right now I want to turn your attention to the women's game as the Red Roses prepare to get their 2021 Six Nations underway. I caught up with the head coach, Simon Middleton, also known as Mids, who took charge in 2017 and has already won three Six Nations in that time, including back-to-back Grand Slams. You're straight into two games off the bat, because for those that don't know, the Six Nations format is different this year. There are two pools. England sit in a pool with Scotland and Italy. They'll play each of them, and then there'll be a final between the winner of the two pools. How do you approach that in, in terms of, you know, you, you've obviously had time off. You, you can't build into the tournament. You've got to hit the ground running, surely. Yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're, we're straight into Scotland, uh, and then we go to Italy. But I think we've, we've changed quite a bit of our training over the last sort of probably the last eight months, to be honest, through the Autumn Internationals and, and then through this year. And we, we've brought a lot more physicality to our trains, a lot more intensity. We've reshaped how we've got about stuff. And you know what it's like. You, you reach a point where you're just ready to play anyway. You feel like you can't train anymore. So we're, we're, we're really ready, keen as mustard, to, to get going. And, and because of, the, of how we've approached some of our training, we're really confident we'll be able to, to drop in and play an intensity we want to write from the off. Obviously, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, but that's you know that, that's what we're going to be aimed aim to do anyway. Was that born out of trying to evolve the program, or was that born of not having games? Born out of evolving the program. Probably about eight months ago, I, I sort of sat back and I had a look at where I thought we were and how we could move it to the to the next sort of level. And uh, and it, you know, ultimately, you are what you train, aren't you? And I looked at how we were training and. Where our decision was decision making was put under pressure, and where our skills were being put under pressure, and the, the answer was that probably not enough in training situations, and it and it, it sort of always felt to be in a game. So 
we we had a change of SNC at that particular point. We had a change of forwards coach at that particular point. And, and the guy who, who came in and joined us, Alex Martin, was ex-Leicester uh, Tigers SNC. He's really, really keen. Had some great ideas about how we do pressure training and what that revolves around. Uh, so it, it fit perfectly with what I wanted to do with the girls. And uh, I just wanted to take our our strength and conditioning more onto the field. And I sort of came up with this, this bit of a philosophy about field fatigue familiarisation, which is basically what it says. It's about, it's about being fatigued on the field and making your decisions and executing on the field and being comfortable doing that. Because so much of our stuff was probably done off the field, our strength and conditioning. Uh, so we, we've gone, I don't know, maybe you call it a little bit old school, but we, we've really gone into high-intensity uh, physical training sessions where the girls put on a lot of pressure, generally through fatigue, but we've, we can see how that started to build up now through various facets. You know, we mix and match some of the challenges through the sessions, and uh, we're starting we're starting to bear through. I would say last week was was our best training session. We've had some good ones, we've had some bad ones as well, like, but uh, we've reshaped things, and and I can't wait to see how we go in in a game situation. How are you measuring that? Are you measuring it by feedback from the players? Are you measuring it by your sort of feel, your eyes? Or are you guided by GPS, numbers, strength, speed, all these sorts of things? Or a combination of all? Yeah, it's it's a combination of everything. I mean, we the, the metrics, the, the physical metrics we, we pull out are, are massive. We we cover everything on the GPS from from collisions to high speed running, meters per second, everything. And, and, it's, and then it's broken down by position. And we've gone through a process where we... We do a lot of head-to-head stuff. So everything we do is put out there for everybody to see. So the girls are very much up front with each other. Uh, everybody can see who's doing what on the field at any one time. And whereas the you know, stats are a bit all and end all, they give you a good indication of, of how, certainly how you, what the trends are in how you're progressing your physical state. And, and it's been exactly as we wanted it to, to be. So we, we, we do metric-wise, we do it massively. We get a lot, a lot of feedback from the players. You know, we've got a strategy group that changes depending on who's selected for the games. We've got a consistent group uh, called the Thorns, which they, they, they're the conduit between the players and the, and the staff. Uh, and they give some really good feedback. They, they do some great work and allow us to adapt how we train. So after every batch of training, if there isn't a competition or if there's a competition, they'll do a review and we sit down and we go through it and, and look at the things that have worked and the things that haven't. And then, and then, I suppose the key bit for me is is the gut feel bit and what you see as a coach and what as a coaching group we debrief on the field after every session and then we debrief more thoroughly through the week before we come into camp again and and what you see and what you feel uh, count for a lot so you know you put all that into into the funnel and hopefully you can get a bit of progression out of the other end every week. I've got a question though. So so three titles in four years, couple of Grand Slams, and you come in what six eight months ago and just say we're going to train harder. Were you met with, well, what we're doing is working? Or was that, did you make it uncomfortable for people? You know, was the group on board with the change? Did you let them know about it? Or did you just kind of ramp it up? Well, to be honest, we, you know, we, you're always looking at trying to develop your training. And one of the things about the girls are that they are, they are hugely progressive. They understand that to sit still is to go backwards. And they just, they were massive thirst for, for developing themselves individually and collectively as a team. And, and they know where we sit in terms of where we compete against some sides, where we compete against other sides and where we compete against ourselves. As it actually turned out, we came off the back of the Autumn Internationals. And one of the things they did feedback was that they didn't felt challenged enough in enough training sessions. 
which was great because we we'd sort of already sat around and kicked this idea about. So it was like oh, fantastic, you know. We we got buy in before we start. I'm not quite sure they were they were quite aligned to what we were about to bring in. But to be honest, one of the things about them, they have an unbelievable training ethic. They 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 love a challenge. I don't think I've ever ever challenged them, and and then not come up to the mark. They're uh, yeah, they 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 know how to raise the bar, and and I think it's like anything. It's it's finding different ways of doing it. They've got a real love-hate relationship. We do this session on a Wednesday called PPP, which is physical pressure practice. And, and it basically, it's just you know real high-intensity, high-physical, full-contact rugby. And they've got a real love-hate relationship. I do love they? that. I do love that. All, all you coaches do the same. You just basically find um, fancy words or, or phrases to rephrase <laughs> contact training. Um, and as a player, like it's murder, but it's essential to, to preparations, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's and particularly when you're trying to move the squad on, and it's and it's it's so long between competitions, and particularly over the last sort of year, you know, fourteen months when the competition's been sporadic and a little bit unpredictable, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been great, and it's it's a great way of creating competition as well. So on that, you obviously haven't played since November. How have you kept the the girls motivated and? Um... You know what? What have you done and and camped together in such a short space to kind of get everyone aligned and and on the same? Have you got channels where the girls are talking to each other? Have you got challenges that you've been doing? How have you stayed connected during the last few months? Yeah, I mean, I mean, through lockdown, we we've had loads of you know different ways of staying connected, different groups working. Uh, some some on strategy stuff, some on cultural stuff, some just on fun stuff. And I mean, things we've got going at the moment, and and this is you know, the, this is what I mean about the the girls are are ingenious in, in what they come up and other times they just think really logically about how they can keep engaged and how they can build their their relationship so uh, they come up with an idea the day we, we've had uh, for a significant time we had about a third of the squad out injured so they just was, come was up that with, a good thing for you uh, yeah I think so you know you don't want to see anybody injured but the the players we brought in have increased the strength and depth massively of the squad. And it's also, you know, we, we, we adapted one of Eddie's ideas about bringing the under-20s in as apprentices, to be honest. And uh, and that's been absolutely fantastic because the under-20s programme's obviously been impacted, like all the pathways, by COVID. So it's it's allowed us to identify some of the players who were probably there or thereabouts before COVID hit. And we've brought them in. And obviously, we all, we've looked after them in the, in, in the camps. But it's accelerated their development. You know, from that point of view, that's been great. Uh, but with the players that we had injured, you know, the girls just came up with a, an idea, right, Sunday morning, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to have a meeting. Every Sunday morning, we're going to have a Skype call where we get all the players on who are injured, reconnect with them, just talk about whatever we want to talk about. Some of it's strategy stuff, in which case we'll get coaches on. Some of it is just about you know, what they've been doing in terms of lockdown and things like that. So that, that's just a typical example of how they stay connected together. Every Friday we have group psychology sessions where you know, we're talking about all about performance. It's all performance driven. At the moment we're working on uh, communication and decision making at speed on the field, which is great. They they split the group up in a, into, into into four different groups and they have a compete to win every week. So Sarah McKenna, who is so off the wall, it's unbelievable, just comes up with some unbelievable stuff. And every week... Oh, give me the best. What's, what's the best so far? Oh, man. <laughs> or the most outrageous. 
Uh, let me think. Well, it was quite outrageous the other day because after we, we we thought we'd flogged them at PPP, they came in and they set the the whole of the inside up of, of Penny Hill Park and had a game of like it was like volleyball tennis or volleyball football. So we were like, well, they can't be that that good. <laughs> so so there was like a bit, bit of that. Uh, then she had another idea where they wanted to do a chipping a golf chipping contest. Uh, like up Penny Hill, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not quite sure that's going to go down well. <laughs> they, were, they were going to chip off the banking down onto the field to targets on the field. I'm like, Man, I'm not quite sure. So then they rearranged it and did it inside on the the four G inside. Do you turn a blind eye at these times, or have you got medical staff that advise against these things? As the boss, do you just say do what you want? Uh, I just say do what you want, and the medical staff have meltdown. Basically, yeah. that's pretty Fall much on your sword. Happens. Basically, if you injure, if you pull a hip flexor, saying kicking the ball front row, it's it's your fault. Oh man, yeah, no, we 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 keep a close eye on on some of the stuff they're doing for sure, but uh, everything's risk and reward. It's not particularly high risk. The stuff they do, it's it's, and you think about you know the, the relief that they get from from just loosening up a little bit, and everybody needs it these days, don't they? Because it's you know world crazy. Yeah, I know. What what about like um you know physical preparations? I'm thinking about your front rowers, you know adaptations in the the Premier Fifteens, and then going into Six Nations. Like the girls haven't scrummaged, right? Yeah. You know, traditionally you'd scrummage once a week, but and this is um kind of like a culture change that we went through under Eddie. We started scrummaging live every day, and at first it's kind of met with what are we doing, but by the end of it, a couple of months in, you're conditioned to do it, and it's just normal. How are you getting those girls ready for for what's to come? Yeah, I mean, to be to be honest, I think that was the thing that was shown up in the the autumns and the Six Nations more than anything with, with us. We are under the adapted laws. You're probably getting three, four scrums a game now. And the AP15 coaches, the club coaches, you know, look at that and they portion their work accordingly in terms of training. So they do very, it's not just they don't get it in the games, they get very little of it in training as well. So the accumulative effect is, you know, we, we when we played in the Six Nations, we came un- unstuck in the Autumn Internationals, we came unstuck against almost every pack we came up against, not categorically, but there were moments where we wouldn't have expected to see that. Came under a lot of pressure again against pretty much all the packs at some point or another. Yeah, so so obviously the big tournament in New Zealand is also being put back to next year. It is next year, 2022. How has it made you rethink your programme? Or are you kind of just focusing on what you can do now and same path, but just not the back of year? Yeah, I, I think what it has done, it, it's it's bought us some much needed time. The, the first thing we did was to get the girls to focus on the Six Nations. And our training had been geared up to the Six Nations, which was part of the preparation process. But ultimately, we were still training and still getting ready for that comp. So for me, I was, look, we're just kind of doing what we're doing. What we actually did is we've changed our focus for Six Nations a little bit in terms of what we're looking outcomes wise. But ultimately, it was first and foremost, we stay on track with that. It wasn't that long ago we lost Katie Daly-McLean. You know, she, she retired. And players like that take some replacing. You know, first receiver was a, was a challenge for us. Uh, we you know, we got some good players in there, but we haven't got anybody with 130 caps like Katie and can pull the strings like Katie could pull. So it's definitely bought us some time in that area where we can regenerate some players. So, so uh, did you know about it? Oh yeah, was it, was it kind of planned? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we spoke we spoke oh, over a year ago about it. So Katie had just become a parent. And, and she knew the dynamics of her, her world were going to change. She moved to, from Loughborough to Sale to be close to home. And she wanted to try that model and, and see if she could still strike a balance that allowed her to, to, to be the international player she wanted to be. She's unbelievably honest, is Katie. So w- once she got through 
Six Nations when we beat France uh, right at the end. And and after that game, I I just knew. I was speaking to her. We were sat in a press conference after, and I just knew that the way that game had gone for her and her reaction to it, something was going to happen. And and fair play, she dropped an email to me and Nikki, and just said, "Look, can, can we have a can we have a, a meeting? I just I just want to have a chat to you." And she came online and she just said, I can't be the player that you need based on the speed the program's moving at now and the direction my life's moving. She she made a really considered opinion and we respected it massively. And Well, that's that's unbelievable, honestly. You know, a, a lot of players would very selfishly try and hang on. I'm, I'm looking in the mirror here. Um, <laughs> but for her to admit, because she's still playing great footy, you know, like... Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So, so on that, where where do you see your squad at now compared to a year ago? Well, I mean that 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 position in particular, where we already got you know Zoe Arison, who's been an understudy to Katie for a couple of seasons now, and we've sort of played ten, 10 and twelve. But obviously, the the sort of sad demise of the the sevens under the COVID issues has, has been a massive benefit for us in terms of fifteens because we had. Uh, Helen Rowland, who was with the Sevens programme, and Meg Jones have both come back in. And they're both... I mean, Jones is more of a 12, I think, than a, than a first receiver, but she's playing first receiver for, for Wasp, and she's absolutely smashing it out of the park. She, last few weeks, she was unbelievable. They played Loughborough yesterday. It was one of the best women's club games I've seen. And Jones is at the middle of it all. Helen is playing on the other side. Very different players. Very different players. But we've actually got some real strength in depth there. But it, it, it's fairly raw, so that's where the twelve months gives us some real opportunities, and I think that's true across the whole squad. We got some fantastic talent coming through. We we were we sat down with the coaches the day before yesterday and went through the potential permutations for the Six Nations, and like we we go through and then we go, wow, we've not even got any game minutes for player X or Y, and she would walk into most international sites. So then you revisit and you look again. And that's where we're placed. You know, we got great strength against pretty much all our positions now. Our centres are a little bit skinny. But then again, you know, we got a couple, you know, if we choose to play Jonesy at 12 rather than 10. Uh, Amber Reed's been out for a while, was playing great rule before she got injured. So if Amber comes back in, we're, yeah, we're, we're in good, sh- good shape, Dylan. We, we got great strength in depth. Well, I was going to say, has your job got harder in the five, six years that you've done um, done it in terms of selecting obviously the, the game going the girls being full-time professional premier 15s you know just more talent more accessibility to good players a higher standard of rugby developing players has it made your job a lot harder obviously better but is, is it made it more difficult yeah absolutely you know did you just have your 15 your 23 whereas now have you got a potential 35 players that you could roll out 40 players yeah, I think that's pretty pretty much where we're at now. I would say 2015, 2014, 2015, you probably had two or three tough decisions to make in terms of who started and who, and who finished. Uh, now, we line up two sides against each other. And I would say 12, 13 positions you could move them across and someone would be knocking on your door asking why they're not in. It's, it's unbelievably difficult, the selection now. But like you say, it's, that's exactly what you want as a coach. And, and there's a whole host of young players just coming up behind them who are knocking on the door. Uh, and in 12 months' time, some of, some of them will be 
very, very much in the fray. Well, I'm really excited to, to watch you in your upcoming campaign. Good luck and best wishes. Uh, final question is, is uh, did we play against each other? Leeds Tykes, mate, around 04, 05. My, I played one game for Worcester. I claim to be a one-club man at Northampton, but they, they put out the bomb squad up in a Powergen Cup game. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether you're on the field that day. I, I'll have been in the coaching box, mate. I was probably long retired by then, I think, was I? Yeah. It, it wouldn't it have been when we were in the Prem. I, I was never good enough for rugby union Prem. Super League, by the time I'd finished, I think they'd had my best days as a rugby player. I could How many help. games did you play at Tigers? Oh, about 185. It's not a contact sport, is it? It's a collision sport. It's different. Oh, mate. Great to meet Simon, especially as I'm going to be chatting with lots more of the Red Roses in the next few weeks. We're dedicating the pod to them as they look to defend the Six Nations title. Don't forget, the first game is against Scotland on Saturday, 3rd of April. Now, though, back to our chat with my old boss, the master, Eddie Jones. Let's look forward, mate. Um, we picked up on something saying you're resetting the squad. What, what sort of changes would you like to, to implement going forward? Obviously, it's, it's a day after and it's, it's not got forensic quite yet. But have you got any sort of big pieces of the pie you'd like to change? Uh, well, it's not specific. It, it, it'll basically, it's finding out the players that have got the real hunger to, to really fight and want to be at their absolute best and then, and then looking for the young blokes who can come through, through and adapt pretty quickly. You know, the young guy from up the road from you yesterday, George Martin, he's 19 years of age, he's 19. Brilliant. And, you know, he came on and played 20 minutes, didn't miss a beat. Uh, he had a good night with the boys last night. They had a bit of an old fashioned night last night. Uh, and he had a great time this morning. He wakes up and he's a, he's a holder of an England cap. So it's a, it's lovely to see that. Okay, nice. And what about you? Got any personal goals? Yeah, well, just over the, the next period of time, yeah, the big thing is getting this selection right, getting this transition of the squad right, and we want to we wanna play a game, again, where we shape the game of rugby. You know, there's no doubt that the way we defended has become normal now in world rugby, and I think, yeah, you know, under Paul Gustard and then under Mad Mitch, yeah, we've we've taken that forward, but now it's it's quite normal for most teams to do that, and we want to we want to shape the game again, and it might be in this this getting this balance right between having a strong set piece and kicking game, and then being able to play like the kick kiwis off kick return. How would that be? Yeah, it'd be nice, be the complete game, wouldn't it? But your words, not mine. Um, I don't think we ever see the perfect game of rugby, do we? No, but that's the aim, mate. You always yeah. got to chase it, mate. It's like that. It's like that perfect way the surfers go after. You always got to chase it, mate. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be seen in the surf either. <laughs> um, obviously, Lions tour year. Let, let's just um, hope and pretend and imagine it, it's going ahead. What What does that do for you? Does that give you opportunity? Obviously, would like to see as many England players on that tour. Does that provide opportunity? You know, I, I throw it back to twenty seventeen. Tom Curry was my roommate, and if you look at him now. He's, he's a brilliant player. He, he's really well-rounded, got a good attitude, good work ethic, and he's, in my opinion, a world-class player. He stands out, you know. What's your view on on this year, if that Lions tour goes ahead and it provides opportunity? Is it is there any kind of... Have you got your eye on a, a group of players or...? No, 100%, mate. I'm going to be up and down the freeways for the next three or four weeks, busily scouting. We've got a list of about 10 or 12 players we're going to look at. Uh, so it's pretty exciting, you know, and it's great. As you know, in Argentina in 2017, it was, it was a great tour. The older guys, 
yeah, I really, really enjoyed the tour, I think, um, and, and bringing those younger guys through and that story of you and Tom Curry, you know, remember then he couldn't say two words. Yeah, and now he can put three together. So he's really, really progressed. He could say mummy and daddy every time he <laughs> FaceTime them. I don't want you to name any players, but can you name any players that kind of excite you? Like, if you think about the, the younger guys, the George Martins that are probably already in your squad, but are waiting in the wings, is there anyone else that you, you'd like to see? Yeah, look, there's some good young guys, particularly in the nines and tens. Um, and that's the hardest area to adapt to test rugby. So we're going to have a, a good look, but there's, you know, young tens like Atkinson, Marcus Smith. There's another Smith at Worcester, Finn Smith. They're all young guys. Simmons at, at Exeter. You know, they're all going to possibly have an opportunity to step up to the plate. So, uh, you know, it's the toughest position in world rugby at the moment, number 10. You know, you got so much pressure. Uh, so little time and space, a lot of decisions to make. So fantastic opportunity for one of the young guys to step up. I think it's, it's a good opportunity to talk about um, a bit of reason here and balance because you've just listed five guys, but then you include your existing fly halves and you're not in control of who goes on that line, so are you? Does Gats give you a heads up or is it just no. he names his team? <laughs> so He's a tough man from Waikato, mate. They don't give away too much. Yeah, but so so those opportunities might not come um, in certain positions because certain people might not go on the lines, right? Uh, but then we might rest a few if, okay. if that's the case because we're really keen to, to bring some younger guys through. As I said, it's the right time for us at the moment uh, in terms of our World Cup planning. Yeah, we're, we'll probably, from the squad in 2019, about 60 to 70% of that squad will go through depending on their desire. And then the other 30%, we've got to find players who can be better than the blokes who are there. Yeah. I think one of the other things, it's almost like um, I'd be interested if you've got a number, I'll put you under pressure here, but um, you can't just take 23 or you can't take 30 20 year olds, can you? Because you you need a balance. You need to strike a balance of experience because I suppose for for our listeners, you can't expect those players to know what it looks like to play for England. They don't know how to train for England. They don't know how to prepare for an international and recover from an international. They don't know how to conduct themselves. So have you kind of got a number of of how much experience, you know, if you were going to take 30 people? Yeah, the ultimate goal is 2023. And all the history, all the data shows you need an average age of about 28 and an average number of caps of about 40 to 45. So, you know, it's not a mathematical equation as such, but we're all always looking at the balance of that. So, for instance, against Ireland, we had an average age of, I think it was 26.6, and average number of caps of 40. Um, so we're, we're still got some growth in terms of that team, and that's a great thing for us, even given the number of experienced players we've got. So we can bring a number of those young guys through. So if you've got a squad of 33, you know, you want to, you want to bring about four or five young guys through and use them as project players. I think that kind of answers my, my next question. I was, I was looking forward to 2023, wondering where your team would be. But can you give me that number in, in caps again? How many caps do you want your... Yeah, it's about average number of about 40 to 45 caps and average age of about 28. So that's what we're moving towards, mate. Okay, do you see Wales last night? I think they're into the thousands with caps. Yeah, yeah they're maxed right out, mate. And, and yeah, their problem is they've got another two years to the World Cup. Can that squad go all the way through? Yeah, and the, the other thing, Dylan, and you might be able to add to this, what I, what I see particularly in Northern Hemisphere rugby is you can run about a two-year cycle and then the players get 
I don't know whether it's physical exhaustion. I think it's more mental exhaustion. They have to have a little bit of a break and then regenerate again. Um, you know, and Wales had that poor season last year, didn't they? Do you know what? When, when I talk about my retirement, Eddie, everyone was like, Dylan Hartley, 2016 Grand Slam, 2017 back-to-back champions. No one mentions 2018. I, I kept in that side to a fifth place. And um, do you know what? I think it was instrumental into your success at in Japan. Oh, 100%, mate. But I remember breakdown issues. We got pulled apart. Yeah. And then a year later, we're in a final. So I'm a man of reason. I'm a balanced man. I understand it. But there's a lot of people that don't. And just like getting banned or injured, you know, sometimes your, your biggest lessons, are, well, the best lessons are the hardest ones, right? Yeah, no, 100%, mate. Right. Let's finish. Let's get you off to eat your Nando's or whatever you got. Um, <laughs> give me give me a highlight from uh, from this campaign for you. I think the the French game, mate, I thought it was an outstanding game of rugby. You know, there was 8 million people watching it, nip and tuck, good physical battle up front and then some good ball movement. And, you know, Maro to cap would have been a horrendous two weeks for him, scores a match-winning try. Brilliant. You know, that's not, that's not a bad piece of theatre, is it? And, and just how interesting is the Six Nations, um, that team that you beat might go on to win the bloody thing. So, yeah. Eddie, thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure. Keep smiling, mate. Keep going. Do, mate. Keep grafting. We'll keep grafting, mate. I know you don't graft too hard on that estate of yours, so we'll graft for you, mate. <laughs> I've been grafting all day. This is Sunday and I'm grafting. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks, guys. Cheers, boss. Cheers. So that's it for another Guinness Six Nations and another week of the pod. It's been a roller coaster this year, but hopefully we've taken you closer to all the highs and the lows of life in the England camp. From next week onwards, we're focusing on the woman wearing the rose, and I can't wait to get in there and see how they've adapted to all the changes this year. Plus, the ladies are always a good laugh. As ever, we love your reviews, so please rate and review the show, and we'll automatically put you in the draw to win a signed England shirt. Aren't we nice? Take care, and we'll catch you next week.